That was great. Thank you so much. All right, I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me. By the way, there are copies of the sermon in the back. Uh, so it's Genesis 18. We're going to pick up the narrative at verse 16. Now, um, okay, this is a very strange passage. All right. So I'll just, I'll just start out there. Okay. Um, there are three mysterious figures that show up. Right, and we'll talk more about that during the adult education hour. But these are three mysterious figures. Uh, turns out that one of them is God. Maybe all of them is God. Maybe there's a couple angels. Anyway, it's weird. Just say it. And the Hebrew, the Hebrew calls them men, but it's not comfortable calling them men. So anyway, that's about this all that we'll get into it. But anyway, this is at Abraham's camp that these three guys show up. And um, anyway, um, Abraham feeds them. That's nice. That's, I guess if God shows up, we should get them to eat. Anyway, so here's the text. Then the men set out from there, and they looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him, that he may change, charge his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, that the Lord may bring about for Abraham, and then the Lord said this, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came there and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the fifty righteous who are there in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find a Sodom fifty righteous in the city... I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy them. I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him, Suppose 40 are there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. 
He answered, For the sake of the tent, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's say a prayer over this one. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I always liked the British singer Kate Bush. She was popular, I guess, in the 80s. Um, and again, we don't listen to music the same way we used to, but I do have this one station that is kind of contemporary, and they start playing a Kate Bush song, Running Up the Hill. And they kept playing it again and again, and I found out that it was featured in an episode of the TV show Stranger Things, okay? which I don't watch. But that's okay. I think the world's strange enough. But I hear it's a pretty interesting show. All right? So anyway, so Kate Bush, became a, it became the number one hit. It was like the longest extended time between when a song was released and it became the number one hit. Now, what I find uh, interesting about this song that she entitled it A Deal With God. That was her original title. And sometimes it will show up running up the hill in brackets, A Deal With God. But the record executives decided that people, religious people, would be offended by the idea of making a deal with God, which I find totally absurd because religious people are always making deals with God, right? right. It's a, the song is about uh, a frustrated romantic relationship and the deal with God she wants to make, if, I could just, if we could just trade places, then maybe we could understand each other, right? Now, there's a deal we've often wanted to make, right? If there's a breakdown relationship between lovers or parent and child, siblings, a boss, if you could just change places, maybe they could understand your perspective, right? If they could just understand my perspective, then maybe they would get it right. Although, to Kate Bush's credit, if I could understand their perspective, I might look at this differently as well. But to make a deal with God, now that's an altogether different thing, isn't it, right? Uh, we've all heard that famous quote, there are no atheists in foxholes. We don't know who said that, by the way. I, I give credit to Father William T. Cummings, who uh, was a teaching at a Catholic school in Manila when World War II broke out. And he was at the Battle of Bataan, eventually died on a Japanese prison ship in 1945. And some people said he gave it in a sermon while they were under attack. It probably actually goes back to some um, source we don't know in World War I. But Dwight Eisenhower actually uh, gave the talk. I think he used it when he was dedicating the Veterans uh, Administration facility. But this idea that you know, there are no atheists in foxholes, the truth of the matter is there may not be any atheists in foxholes, but how many deals with God are seldom followed through, right? Whatever's professed during our time of trouble, those desperate promises are seldom kept. 
right? There's a penultimate scene in an old Burt Reynolds movie, um, which reminded me of a joke. I don't tell jokes. I'm not a very good joke teller. But um, Burt Reynolds, and it actually, is a, it, it actually is a pretty interesting Burt Reynolds. It's a pretty substantive Burt Reynolds movie, which I know sounds amazing in and of itself. Uh, the joke is West Virginia is one of the few places where they have group discussions after Burt Reynolds movies. See, it's not that good, right? I just, see, I don't, I'm not a joke teller. But anyway, this, this story, the movie's called The End. And I don't know, it's real. I don't remember what year it came out. But he's this, uh, you know, living the high life, I think, real estate developer. And he gets a, he gets a, uh, a diagnosis that he only has six months to live. And so the penultimate scene of the movie is he decides to kill himself. It's in California, starts start swimming out into the ocean. And he gets exhausted and he goes under and he comes up spitting up water and he decides he wants to live. But he's already <laughs> exerted all his energy to get out there. So he decides he's going to swim back. And he starts praying. And a couple of different prayers he says. One is, Lord, I need you to make me a better swimmer. <laughs> and he goes, Lord, if you save me, I will keep all the Ten Commandments. And he starts naming three of them and then he goes, Lord, if you save me, I will learn the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and he's going further out. At one point he says, Lord, if, I, if, if, I, if you save me, I will give you 50% of everything I have. Gross, not net. <laughs> he goes, who gives you that deal, God? And he gets closer to the shore, and he realizes he's going to make it. He says, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And he goes... Lord, I promise I'll give you that 10% as soon as I get to shore. And then he says this. I know I said 50%, but who gives you 10%? Yeah, I know that you saved me, Lord, but you're also the one who made me sick. Last week we talked about the calling God and what is entailed in that, right? Two things. A God who calls, right? A God who engages with God's creation. A God who makes a promise. And then you have a human who responds. Right? A human who moves to parts unknown, trusting an unknown God. It's pretty remarkable, right? But that's what Abram does. This week, the negotiating God requires a different two-way relationship. Now, it doesn't have to be equal, right? But there is a requirement of mutuality, right? You're negotiating there has to be a mutuality involved. And so our text opens. God's kind of speaking to himself or those two guys or whatever that is, right? Shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? A lot has happened with Abraham since last week. Let me just give you a synopsis. We'll talk more about this in adult education. All right, Lot picks the better land. God gives him 
the promise of the land once again. That's one of the things he does. Abraham wins a tribal battle. Sarah laughs at God when God tells her that she's going to have a baby. All right. He has multiple visions, some really strange stuff. He has a father with Sarah's, or he has a child with Sarah's mistress. Okay, if you don't know that story real quick, Sarah decides that we're not going to get a baby. God's, if, if God's going to help us, we have to help ourselves. So Abraham says, here's my mistress, here's my young slave girl. I want you to have a baby with her. And because Abraham's a team player, <laughs> he says, all right, if you insist. <laughs> That's going to turn out to be a problematic situation. <laughs> he has an encounter with the El Shaddai. And, a, and the covenant's renewed. He gets a new name. He's no longer Abram. He's Abraham. And he gets circumcised. Okay, a lot happened last week. All right. But we see here that Abraham and God are developing a friendship. And instead of getting everything at once... Abraham and God are getting to know each other. I've mentioned this already, but I think the chief problem in the contemporary world, why there is less faith, if you would, is because we're not a very patient age. And genuine faith requires patience. It requires an intellectual patience, but it requires a life patience as well. That's, uh, as Tomas Halik says, that's what fundamentalists and atheists have in common. They both lack patience. They want the answer now. But that's really not how life works, and certainly not how faith works. And what's interesting, and I think this is something Christians often fail to understand, where Adam failed, right, Abraham is succeeding. It says in Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness or justice. So there is this growing relationship of mutuality. And that's why this next scene, the scene we talked about, can happen. Abraham confronts God and says, shall the judge of all the earth not deal justly? Plato, in a, in a dialogue one time, said this, is that which is holy loved by the gods because it is holy? Or is it holy because it is loved by the gods? In other words, is something holy because God says it is? Is something right because God says it is? Or because it is right, God deems it to be holy? Daniel Hartman uh, gave a talk on the subject and which strongly influenced me and so some of these ideas are certainly his. But he gives the Hebrew version of Plato's dialogue and the idea that there are statutes and there are ordinances. Okay, there are four to six Hebrew words that are used interchangeably. 
for all this. Sometimes in your English Bible, it's also translated command. But the difference between a statue is as a statue is something that is required because God said it is required. Okay, so for instance, kosher laws, the purity laws, a lot of the requirements around the festivals, those are all required. They're all mitzvahs, they're all commandments because God says to do it. Okay. I said it, that's what makes it right. Okay. But there's also something that's called ordinances. And it's something that's more universal. In many ways, it's true apart from revelation. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Those are all things that have universal applications. Abraham, okay, this is really important, because this is a little different than how we often tell this story in Christian circles. Abraham has been given the knowledge of good and evil. And he uses it the way that it was intended. And God listens. The Abraham of Genesis 18 reminds us that justice and ethics are important. It's an important part of being human. It's also part of what the divine call gives us. And it's really important, I've said this multiple times, we should never make God worse than we are. That's a really important, important idea. Jesus one time said, those of you who know how to give good, those of you who are evil, who know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you? In other words, even though we're bent, even though we get it wrong frequently, humans need to be able to talk about justice. We need to be talk about universal principles. How self-evident they are, that's another argument, right? But we need to say it's wrong to wage total war against the civilian population. It's wrong to profile somebody because of the color of their skin. It's wrong to abuse the alien and the stranger in your land. That's not me, that's God said that. It's wrong to hold each other in contempt because we are created in the image of God. Now, there's so many strange things about this passage. Why God had to go down and see for himself what was going on? Okay, that's... <laughs> right? It's kind of a, it's a... It is a literary device, right? Who are those other two people with God? I know we call them angels, but it's, it's very strange, right? By the way, it's not the Trinity either, okay? Some, I've heard some Christians say it's a Trinity. Trinity is not material in that way, so it's not the Trinity. I don't know, it's just a weird story, right? But it's so weird, it's true. So, <laughs> you know, that parable in Luke, right? It's an awful parable, right? Because Jesus himself is saying, sometimes God seems like the unjust judge. How many of you have ever prayed and feel like you're talking to yourself? 
How many of you stop praying because you feel like you're talking to yourself? No one's listening. Jesus <laughs> puts into words what we think. Looking around the world, looking at my own life, sometimes God seems like the unjust judge who doesn't care what's going on. But Jesus says he's not. Keep praying. Again, you and, and God sometimes have different agendas. Maybe often. We want things to go better, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting things to go better. God wants you with him forever. Now, we often talk about this is God negotiating with Abraham. But Abraham is negotiating against himself. We've all seen that skit where the person's bidding against themselves. Right? It's funny. It's like a Monty Python thing. Right? <laughs> God keeps going, okay. And Abraham, you know, Abraham starts out in kind of like a flurry, right? You know, he's giving God the business. God, how dare you act unjustly? Would you destroy this whole city if there were 50 righteous people? God says, all right, I won't. Suddenly Abraham goes, oh no. He's taking me seriously. <laughs> so Abraham's, <laughs> how about 45? And then he goes, oh, I've been there, man. I don't think there are 45 decent people in that whole town. Right? And does God say no? No, God keeps... So, there's a lot that I don't understand about this passage, but here's a couple of things I do think. First of all, how bad must the Sodom and Gomorrah have been, right? He couldn't come up with 10 decent people. Uh, I've been in a few towns like that. Okay. The other point here is that God wants to err on the side of justice and mercy. And thirdly, sometimes faith means you need to challenge God on behalf of the world. Regardless of your chance for success with God or the world. Sometimes you need to bang against the wall. Sometimes you need to storm heaven. I think I've told, I, I can't remember if I told this story here yet or not. But um, I had, there was a, a young girl in my congregation, uh, her name was Colleen, in a congregation I had in South Jersey. I always said she came to babysit one night and never left. Uh, she kind of became part of our family. It came from a horrific home situation. Her mother had died um, when she was six. Her father was a, was a beast. Um, and so she became part of our family. Beautifully talented girl. She's uh, part Japanese, Japanese-American, uh, Irish is the other half, and um, talented, athletic, artistic, uh, brilliant. 
but because of the evil that had been done to her, remarkably self-destructive. And um, I won't go into details, but there were many times where I didn't think Colleen was going to make it, either by what she was doing or by her own hand. But she made, she survived her early 20s and, and made a life for herself. Um, and I got a phone call from her around her 30th birthday. And she says, I have cancer. Cancer is what killed her mother, her paternal grandmother, her paternal aunts, and cancer is what eventually killed her as well. And of course, I'm shocked and we're talking and she's telling me about it. And at the end, she goes, well, you're going to be happy. And I go, how can I be happy, Colleen? Well, I believe in God again. She goes, I have to have somebody to be angry with. Our relationship with God is to be a real relationship. Abraham begins to follow the Lord. And in Genesis 18, he becomes his friend. Now, we're going to look at a balance this next week. The Abraham of Genesis 18 needs to be balanced with the Abraham of Genesis 22. But there are times in our spiritual journey where we will argue with God. We will doubt. We will question. We'll plead. But that's what a friendship is sometimes, right? A friend is someone you can say anything to and he'll still be there for you. Thomas Aquinas one time said, the greatest love is the love of friendship. And the greatest friendship we can have is friendship with God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's continue your worship by giving God your gifts, your tithes, and your own.